So August for the church is going to be a month that we've titled Be Intentional Month. And so in light of that, we're going to do the sermon a little differently today. We'll still be in a passage, but um, there's just going to be a little more just kind of practical stuff brought in, a little more topical than we usually are. Um, because I find it's, it's just helpful sometimes to pull out of the ordinary, uh, the normal way of doing things, and, and kind of just step back and relook at the vision and mission that we believe God's placed on this church. Um, and then how does that connect to some of the things that we're doing and how we do them? And so on the back of your bulletin, if you haven't ever noticed that, our vision and mission is printed that together, all of us together, desire to see the glory of God enjoyed and spread from here to the ends of the earth. Right? That's not a tagline. That's what the heart of your leadership desires for you. And that I hope you desire for each other that you encounter the glory of God in a way that provokes joy out of your life and leads you to spread that all over the world. Um, how, though? Right? That's a big statement. How do we get there from here? And that's the way we, we view our purpose statement is that uh, by making reproducing disciples, disciples who make disciples who make disciples until Jesus comes back. And these disciples are marked by, number one, a treasuring of Christ supremely. Like we're all treasure hunters. We all desire something of value. We all pursue the highest value of our lives. So what is it? We want to place Jesus in front of you in song and Jesus in front of you in sermon and Jesus in front of you in Sunday school and Jesus in front of you in reading plans so that Jesus consumes that highest treasure of your life. And that you will engage the lost in word and deed, that you will serve and you will share, that you will intentionally find ways to interact with, care for, sacrifice for those who are far from God. And that you will also bring the word of the gospel to bear on that uh, so that they would believe. And then lastly, intentionally fostering genuine relationships of growth and change. Uh, and so be intentional month. I don't want you to hear, oh, church program to get more numbers. All right. Because that is not what we intend by things like this. I don't want you to hear be intentional month. Oh, a plan to get more Sunday school members. Like, that's missing the point. When you hear be intentional month, the point is not numbers that come in. It's the habits that you develop in your life that are the normal rhythm of your life. And we want to see them reset. So we want to place before you some healthy habits that should be part of your day in and day out experience as long as God puts you on this earth. And so be intentional month is four challenges for four weeks. Four challenges for the four weeks of August. So challenge one, be present and be prepared each week in Sunday school. Being present allows you to be known. Being present allows you to be cared for. Being present allows you to get the sense of belonging where a church of 250 to 350 becomes a church of 15 to 20 people that know you and are involved in your life. Being present allows you to do that in a way that not being present will never do. And so we believe it's valuable and be prepared. Right? We're going to have treasuring Christ content. We're going to have teachers who are driving you to treasure Christ supremely. We're going to have them putting the word before you. And so as you prepare throughout the week by doing your Bible study or your curriculum, by, as you prepare throughout the week by whatever reading you're doing and allowing God to encounter your life, you then show up to class in a way that God has been working on your life already. And you get to bring the overflow of what God's done there. But if you're not there and if you're not prepared, those things, you can't bring those to the table for you or for anybody else. So be present and be prepared. Four weeks, be in Sunday school. Second, pray daily. 
We want you to focus your prayer life on God growing you in Christ-likeness. And so uh, as Paul is praying, he's like, give them spiritual insight and wisdom into, into, your, into the knowledge of your will that they may walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Like, fill them with an understanding of who you are and what you've done so that it affects their lives and they live worthy of it. Do you pray that for yourself? But don't stop by praying for yourself. Pray for the the Sunday school class, the group that God has put you in. Are you praying for unity? Are you praying for love? Are you praying for relationships? Are you praying for for their spiritual lives? Are you praying for God to set them ablaze with a love for for his glory? Pray for yourself. Pray for them. But then pray. Don't ever stop there. And that's, I think, where if we do reach this level, that's where we tend to stop. But there is a whole world of people that is not connected to the group that you're connected to. There's a whole world of people that is not connected to the Savior you're connected to. And so are you praying for people who are either not yet connected into the church or not yet connected to Christ? And has your prayer life got a, got a compartment for it so that there are real people with real faces who are not yet welcomed, belonging, connected? And does it have a space for them to be? So pray daily. Be present, be prepared, pray daily. That's all the peace. The next one is going to be identify and engage two people who are not connected to Sunday school. Identify and engage two people that are not connected to Sunday school. They may be guests of the church. If you're a guest of the church, don't worry. Like You're not our project. We want you to experience the welcoming, the family, the connectedness that has brought most of the people in this room together. That's why it's, that, that is what has kept them in this room together. And they want you to experience the, th- the same thing they've experienced. That's why we say intentionally identify and engage people, to reach out to them, to welcome them in. And then the last one, be part of a well-planned party in late August. So every Sunday school class is supposed to have a party person. Does your Sunday school class have a party person? Right? And so we want you to throw an amazing party that is planned, that is thought through. And your job in that is to show up and have a great time. And then your other job in that is to make sure every single member and every single guest and every single person you're praying for and every single person you're engaging receives not a blanket email invitation, but a personal invitation that you want to see them there. Four simple challenges for four weeks. And we believe those are habits that should be part of your life all the time. You should always have people in your heart that you're reaching out to. You should always be praying for yourself and the people you're connected to. You should always be present as much as possible when the people of God gather and allow your life to be connected into theirs. So it's not like we're asking you to do a program for a month. We're asking you reset some healthy habits in your life because we believe they will enrich your spiritual life. But one question you may have is like, or one thought you might have, oh, Sunday school. Dusty old carpet, flannel graph, lecture that puts you to sleep, and you're thinking, okay, that's Sunday school in your mind. Like, delete that. That is not what you're going to find if you go and encounter our Sunday school classes. The way we view Sunday school is like Sunday school is this holistic ministry that is meant to place you around teaching that is going to center on Christ, to place you around people who are discussing the word and how God's intersected their life through this word and through this teaching. It's a place where you can be cared for. It's a place where relationships can begin. They can't they can't be finished there, but they can be started there as, as you interact around the table and as you get to know each other's stories. Like it's a it's a holistic place where we can provide care when life has really great things happen. Like there's 25 women that are pregnant in the church right now. We found out in church conference that another one was thanks, Perry Ziegler. He's not here. I can make fun of him. He, by the way, if you aren't here on Wednesday, like here's what he did. He would be OK if I told you this. There's a certain daughter of his that's pregnant that was not yet publicly pregnant. 
And he decided to announce it at the church conference. So thanks, Perry. So anyhow, that's the kind of stuff that can happen, right? There's a lot of wonderful events that happen in your life. And and this is a group of people that will celebrate those events with you. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. But you're also going to face some things in this life that make you weep. And you need a group of people that's willing to weep with those who weep. That are willing to come around you in those times of need. And that's what we view this ministry as. Far from a dusty one hour a week because you have to and we tell you to, to this holistic way that these 250 to 300 faces become personal, known people that are, that are walking through life together. That's our view of it. And so today we're going to be talking about uh, relational connections for the glory of God. All right. So uh, let's pray. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10, which is um, a little out of sequence for where we are. And I go from there. So. Father, grant us to be people that have tasted and seen. Grant us to be people, Father, where Christ is is growing in our affections. And we're beginning more and more to have our lives centered around him and more in love with him and more following of him and more seeing of him and more being changed to be like him. God, would you do that? And then would you make us people who don't do it alone, but who do it together? God, that follow Christ together, that that spur each other on together to run after you. And so, Father, would you do what my words can't? Would you do what our statement on this bulletin can't? God, would you do that in us? Would you create a longing and a value for that in us? And then would you run, uh, push us to run after that together? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read 19 through 25, but we're going to focus on 24 and 25. So in Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a, true assurance, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see the main point in your outline. Genuine relationships and community stir us up to run after God. Genuine relationships and community stir us up to run after God. Let's look at the first point here. Don't isolate. Pursue regular and intentional times with other believers. Don't isolate. Pursue regular and intentional times with other believers. As I was thinking about this, two questions came to mind. Question one, what are some reasons that people drift out of church and out of community? Like, what are some reasons that people just drift away? And, and the first one, I think, is, is one we can all relate to, but it just hasn't pulled us out, is the idea of busyness. For some reason, the busier life gets, the first thing that gets neglected and the first thing that is the easiest for us to drop is our personal relationship to God and our corporate gathering with God's people. Have you noticed that? Oh, I'm just so busy. So God gets the, the cutout part? Okay. 
Or sometimes we, we drop out of church and we drop out of community because we're disappointed or it's, it's not what we're looking for anymore. It's not meeting a, a need. And, or we're just kind of just disappointed. Maybe we're disappointed with God or we're disappointed with the people around us. And so we drift. And sometimes it's a lot more serious than that. Sometimes we have genuinely and deeply been hurt within church community and we allow that hurt to pull us out instead of press us in. And so we leave church and we leave community because of the hurt that has been experienced within church and within community. And we drift away. And sometimes what I've found is that people drift because there are things in their life they do not want to deal with and they do not want God to interact with and they do. They they want to kind of keep off limits to God. And so as that happens, it produces this natural drift away from community. It produces a drift away from being with God's people. And so there's all kinds of reasons people drift out of church. Some of them we understand a little more than others, but there's a lot of different reasons. But the second question to me is the bigger question. The question that I think concerns most of you sitting in this room. Why do you and why do I sit in church and sit in Sunday school Most weeks of our life while keeping other believers at a safe distance from us. Why do we sit in Sunday school and sit in church most weeks of our lives? We're here, yet we keep people at a safe distance, right? And so we keep them from seeing us because the appearances we put up on Sunday morning won't hold up to scrutiny. So I've got to put a safe distance between us. The image that I'm trying to craft that I want that that I want other people to see, it won't hold up. So I have to keep you at a safe distance. So I keep people at arm's length. Uh, I keep people at arm's length and at a polite, safe distance, because if they get in there, they're going to see the flaws. If they get in there, they're going to see the failures. If they get in there, they're going to see the hurt. If they get in there, I might actually have to change and not just talk about changing. Right. And so we keep our polite Christianity at a polite Christian distance and we keep enough distance between us so that it stays safe and it stays comfortable. But we're still in community. We're still here. We're still present. Or what if I let them in? What if they see in and they don't like what they see and I'm rejected? That's another reason we keep people at a safe distance. So we've got all these reasons to stay comfortable, all these reasons to stay safe. None of which is a good enough reason to do it. Right? None of them is a good enough reason for you to stay at a distance from other believers because it is God's intention that relationships with other people are real and and authentic relationships. And it's God's intention that those relationships are used to shape you, used to form you, used to display grace to you, used to show the gospel to you, used to apply the grace of God into the areas of your life where it's not so that you don't have to live in an image because you can live in the reality of one forgiven by Christ. So you don't have to live as one concerned with being rejected because because the only one that ever matters in this world has already declared the sentence of not guilty. So it really doesn't matter from there. Like God's intention is for you to live in that kind of freedom and that kind of relationship. So don't isolate yourself. Don't keep yourself at this safe distance from other people. And I think that's what we're going to see here in the text. All right. So as we get to these these verses, they're very simple. They're very straightforward. But one of the things that struck me as I was studying is to do each of these rightly. You have to know somebody and you have to be known by somebody. All right. If you are really going to consider what is it going to take to get this person to run after God? You're going to have to know what makes them tick and what motivates them and and what's the holdup and what are the barriers? 
If you're going to know how to encourage people, then Christian platitudes, I don't know if you've experienced them, Christian platitudes rarely, rarely encourage me. But somebody knowing me and me knowing them and them thus bringing God's encouragement to bear on my life, that does. You've got to be known and you've got to know people for these, these, these commands to be realities in your life. So you have to be known. Um, so let's catch up. I want, to, I want to give you quickly the flow of 19 through 20, 23, and then we'll jump in and focus on 24. So look at this. Verse 19, therefore, meaning look backwards, therefore, Jesus is a better sacrifice that purifies your conscience instead of leaving you plagued with guilt to make sacrifices year after year. Therefore, because Jesus is a better high priest that stands between you and God, representing you to God. Therefore, because Jesus offers a better covenant, the new covenant with his blood that gives the forgiveness of sin. Since all of those things are true, he gives two sense statements, two reason statements to obey what he's about to say. Reason one, since we have confidence to enter the holy place. And we won't go into a, an Old Testament lesson, but basically into the presence of God. Since you, although all the generations of people before you were cut off by a veil and then cut off by the outskirts of the temple unless they were priests, because everybody that has ever lived before you had no ability to enter into the presence of God, I want you to have confidence to enter into the presence of God. So since you are able to walk up into the presence of the king of the universe without any forewarning and without any um, recognition or without any invitation, you're able to just go since that's true. And then since you have such a high priest, a high priest who was the once and for all sacrifice, who cleansed you from your sin, who made you acceptable to God, who opened up the way to get into the presence of God, since those are true, Three commands flow, right? So since you have access to the presence of God and since you have a a, a better priest that will welcome you and, and walk you in there, command one, let us draw near with a true heart. You have access to the presence of God. And I know that doesn't amaze you like it should. And I know it doesn't amaze me like it should. What God should do when you step into the outer courts of his presence is strike you dead. Like, do you realize that? And yet instead he ushers you right. Come on in with confidence. And so what should you do in response to that? Walk in. Draw near. Live in intimacy with God. Live in the presence of God. That's what you should do. The second command. Let us hold fast our confession. Right? So if you have a, a, a God become man, die on a cross for your sins to declare your guilt, righteousness instead. And if you have a priest who is also that sacrifice who offers you the presence of God, then it is insane to think about letting that go for some other option. Right? So walk in, hold fast, don't let go. Intimacy with God, endurance in the gospel. So far, so good. And that's where it gets to what we're talking about today. Let us consider one another. For the first time, it's not you and God in the equation. It's us and God. For the first time, this endurance and this intimacy, this drawing into the presence of God doesn't just involve you. It involves other people. And so what's the point? In my opinion, what the text is pointing to is if you want to endure in the gospel and if you want to live in intimacy with God, it will require you to live in community with other believers. 
It will require you to live in real, genuine, deep relationships with other believers. And if you don't, you will always have a deficiency in your intimacy with God. And there will always be a deficiency in your endurance in the gospel. That's what I take it to mean. Or do it in reverse. Consider one another. Meet together. Encourage one another. Because it will spur their endurance in the gospel. And that endurance in the gospel will spur life of intimacy with God. Life in the presence of God. So whether you take it from top, run after God, draw near to him, go into his presence down to the bottom. It's going to take encouraging each other. It's going to take considering each other. Or if you take it from the bottom up, the more you're in relationships that consider, the more you're in relationships that meet together, the more you're in relationships that encourage in a biblical way, the more you will have endurance and intimacy. And so that's what we're looking at today. Relationships are key to running after God. So let's look at it. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up. So the word for consider is to fix your mind or fix your attention on something. And so give careful, intentional thought to something. Right. So consider is not like this passing word. Consider is to sit down, dwell on, fix your attention on, give your undivided consideration to. And so what are you to fix your eyes on? What are you to carefully and thoughtfully consider? What should you spend your time meditating on from this passage? How to stir one another up. One another is a word that's used 50 some odd times in the New Testament as command saying, this is what it's supposed to look like to live in community. This is what it's supposed to look like to live with other believers. And so let's consider, focus attentively on, give careful, thoughtful consideration to how to stir each other up. Now, in our language, they've written it very nicely as you know, kind of a positive word, but in the underlying language, it is almost exclusively a negative word. It's a word that means provoke. It's a word that means irritate. It's a word that means get under the skin. And so it's a word that means what your little brother or your little sister used to do to get a response out of you. Anybody remember those? It's going to ask for a better response. But like a brother, a little brother, a little sister knew what buttons to push to get a response and then get you in trouble for that response. Like that's what I want you to think about when it says consider how to stir up. Consider how to provoke a response out of the people around you. What kind of response? A response of love for God and love for other people. Right. Have you carefully considered what is it going to take for a handful of people around me to fall more in love with Jesus? To, as Matthew 22 says, to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and then uh, Mark adds strength. And then to love their neighbor as themselves. Have you thought about that? Probably not. Did you spend any focused time this week praying about God? How can I provoke Fletcher to love you more? How can I provoke Fletcher to love each other more? Or not even that. Have you spent any conscious, focused time thinking about, you know what? There's two or three people in my Sunday school class. I would love to see more in love with Jesus. Do you put any thought into how you could how you might be used of God to make that happen? That's the text. And by the way, it says, love your love your neighbor as yourself at the end of that. I'm going to give you a little secret to life. Like in the American church, we say, you know, you've just got to love yourself before you love other people. That is so unbiblical that it makes me want to gag a little bit. 
I think I threw up in my mouth just a little bit, just saying it. Sorry, I'm on, it's an ADD day. Y'all just deal with me. So, love one another. The, the, the point of Jesus in saying that is not love yourself more. The point of Jesus is it assumes you already love yourself too much. You don't have a problem taking care of you. You don't have a problem working for you. You don't have a problem making you comfortable. You don't have a problem sacrificing to get what you want. And so it's turning that out the way you love you and more. Love your neighbor that way. Have you considered how to provoke love for God and love for others and the people around you? And so, yeah, I want to, as a pastor, bring people into my study with me in the sense of like, I want to, I want to take the faces that are out here and bring them in there and like study the word and study people and bring those together. God, uh, how, what can I say today? What out of your word is going to provoke a greater love for you? What is going to provoke a greater enjoyment of your glory? What is going to, what is going to, what can I put before their eyes that would wake them up from their lethargy and wake them up from their apathy or wake them up from a, a cool running temperature or a warm temperature for God and and give them this hot, burning love for your glory. Like, what is it going to take? But that isn't a command for pastors only, is it? It's a command for you. And so when you're in a Sunday school class, there's 15 to 20 other people. Like, you look around here. You probably don't know all the people. As you look around here, could you spend enough time this week thinking about how to get these 250 people to fall in love with God? I can't either. But as you look around the Sunday school table and there's 15 or 20 people there. Could you consider? Could you fix your attention on what it would take for them to love God, what it would take them to run after God, what it would take for them to love each other better? You can do that. Right. And so the command to you is this. There should be a handful of people in your life. That part of your week consists of, or maybe even your days consist of, God, I'm thinking about them. God, I'm praying them. God, I'm, I'm running them over in my mind because I want them to be in love with you with every fiber of their heart and soul and mind and strength. And I'm not going to stop until they are. What's it going to take? That's the practical command that comes out of the text. That's the practical command of community. How do I stir them up to love? And if their affections grow, if their love for God grows, if their love for other people grows, you know what will automatically happen? Good works. So I want to stir them up to love. I want to stir up their affections first because we always do what we love. We always find time for what we love. We always find the ability to make room for what we love. I was able to stay up till like midnight the other night because there was a West Coast Atlanta United game. Gladly pay the price. Do I love you enough to pay that kind of price? Do I love God enough to pay that kind of price? Because if I love him enough, I will do it. We always do what we love. Provoke their love. Provoke the response of love and you will provoke a response of God glorifying good works. And then that leads to the supporting command uh, number one. It begins with a negative, like you've got to avoid this negative. If you are going to grow in endurance in the gospel, if you're going to grow in intimacy with other believers, then you're going to have to avoid this. Not neglecting meeting together. The word for neglect is a very strong word. It's a word for desert or abandon. Don't abandon each other. Don't desert your spot in the community 
that leaves vacant the work and the love that God has and the provoking that God has for you. Don't abandon us. Don't abandon the people around you. Don't abandon the people sitting in tables around you because there is something in your consideration and your provoking that they need that is part of their endurance, that's part of their intimacy with God. Don't abandon. Don't isolate. Do not isolate yourself from other believers. Don't neglect being with other believers. And so uh, I've used this before, guilty, for saying you should come to church. You should be in Sunday school. Right? Don't neglect meeting together. Don't neglect the Sunday gathering. Don't neglect Sunday school or whatever group name that you call. Like, don't do that. That's true. But it's just too limited. That's true, but it is just too limited. If you do neglect regular, and I'm convinced of this, not because I'm a pastor and not because I report how many people are here to anybody. I am convinced that if you are not consistently a part of a local church, there are major deficiencies in your spiritual life and intimacy with God. Because I believe God designed it that way. I believe texts like this show he designed it that way. He designed being part of community consistently to be part of your ability to draw near to God. Right. And so I do believe that with all my heart. I believe that's the way God set it up, not because we record it, but because that's the way God ordained it. But I believe that's way too small a picture for what this verse is saying. Do not neglect meeting together. What do you mean? I would point you to Acts chapter two at the end for that. Here's the early church without programs yet, without events yet, without add-ons yet. Like there's none of the building stuff. There's none of the sound stuff. There's nothing else going on. Here's what the early church was about. And, and let's don't idealize it because they start fighting in just a, a chapter or two. Okay. So like this is not like Acts 2, everything's perfect, but it is saying that here was the main things that the church was about. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles doctrine and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And a couple other really awesome things happen, but it says it this way a couple of verses later. Day by day, not just Sunday, day by day, they were in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Do not neglect the meeting of yourselves together. What does he mean? Do not neglect to weave your life into the life of other believers is what he means. Like Sunday, a couple hours on Sunday is not the extent of what he's talking about. Acts 2 kind of life is what he's talking about. Like, do you genuinely have your life connected to the lives of other believers in a way that there is something about your weekly rhythms that intersect each other? And if not, you're going to be missing parts of what God has for you for endurance and parts of what God has for you for intimacy if you lack that. And so what is the early church about? The Bible... Apostles doctrine, meaning the word that they eventually that they eventually wrote and became what you hold in your hands. So the apostles doctrine, the Bible, prayer. Fellowship and meals. And that, if that describes what we are wanting to be about as, as a church, I, I think that's probably a great summary. I want you to eat with each other as much as possible. Do it healthy, have a salad, whatever, you know, we got to watch, watch some things. Eat together as much as possible while focusing on God's word and prayer and weaving your lives with other believers. Don't neglect the meeting of yourselves together. Yeah, show up on Sunday. I hope you want to. 
But don't dare let Sunday be the end and the and the, the full definition of what it means to be fellowship, to be connected to other believers. Don't neglect the meeting of yourselves together. And then look at the little warning, as is the habit of some. There are some who will be on the fringes. There are some who will be inconsistent. There are some who will abandon. There are some who will leave. But I want you to be the people who live in the presence of God. I want you to be the people who run after intimacy with God. I want you to be the people who encounter and experience God. I want you to be the people who live in endurance in the gospel. And so please do not let that be you. Don't be the one that neglects gathering. Don't be the one that neglects meeting together on a regular basis. And so do you see the first command? Like, is there a handful of people that consume attention and thought out of your life because you desire more love for Jesus, more running after Jesus, more serving of Jesus out of them? You should have some people you're considering. How can I stir them up? And I hope there's people thinking about you too. How to stir you up. To be more in love with Jesus in a way that consumes your life and then throws your life after following him. That won't happen if you're not gathered with people. That won't happen if you don't expose your life to people. If there's not some consistency in in being in the same place as people. So don't isolate. Pursue regular and intentional times with other believers. At Fletcher, when we think about this, I I want you to think about it on three levels. At Fletcher, yeah, there's a gathering. There's 250 to 300 of you. Can't consider you all, right? I can consider you all as a group, but I can't consider all of you individually, and you can't either. But I hope there's some. God, I want Fletcher to love Jesus more. And so we want to encourage you. We want to drive you. We want to invite you. We want to pray for you. We want to challenge you. Even right now in this moment, be part of a Sunday school class. Be part of 15 to 20 people who study who hear each other's stories, who hear each other's insights, who hear each other's walk with God, who learn each other over time so that when you are preparing and when you are praying and when you are present, that you can bring the encounters you've had with God to bear on the on the group of people that you're experiencing life with in hopes that it provokes them to love and good works. And you can see the value of being able to do that with 15 because you can't do it with this kind of group. And by the way, all your classes, I said this before, right? All your classes should have a party person. Does your class have a party person? Are they great at, at waving the banner and planning times for, the peop- for y'all to get together and spend time together outside of class and to have well-planned parties that, that foster relationships and just fun? Like you need that. But that's only half of what we encourage our party planners to do. You know what the other half is? Wave the banner of organic, informal times together. Hey, who wants to go out to eat after Sunday? Hey, who wants to meet for breakfast before work? Hey, who can do lunch during the week? So that there is a weaving of lives together, that there's somebody continually putting in front of the class. Are you spending time with anybody? Continually putting before the class opportunities to do that. Continually putting before the class every four to six weeks, kind of a big ticket gathering so that there's this ability to kind of start to see what connections form. But don't stop there. There's a church, there's Sunday school. We would love to see over time, every one of you, and we're we're working on names, so forgive us. In something that we call a micro group. 
a group of two to four people of the same gender who are doing more than a Bible study. Like if you hear Bible study in this, I want you to delete it. Okay, Bible studies, you can you can know facts and you can be academic and, and you can be safe all at the same time. Right. If you're if you're having a Bible study with four people, you can look really good spiritually because, you know, the answers. We want it to be more than a Bible study. So here's what we mean by microgroup. It's a group of two to four people of the same gender who know each other's story, who increasingly know God's story in the gospel and love each other enough to bring it together. Do you know the story of two to three other people deeply Do you know the story of God in increasing ways that is encountering your life? And then are you close enough and do you love each other enough to let them weave that story into your life and to you to connect that story into their life? That's what we mean. You can see how that's more than a Bible study, right? That's more than connecting biblical facts. That's more than sharing, hey, I've got some things I can throw out. It doesn't really matter where I am spiritually because I've got some facts from the Bible. No, I love you. I know you. You love me. You know me. And here's the gospel. Here's where it's needed. Here's where it encourages. Here's where it massages. Here's where it stirs up. Here's where it provokes. And so we want to see that happen in your life. We want to see a commitment of your life. And so you're like, how do I get there from here? The great news and the horrible news is this. It's not a program, so we don't have a sign-up card. You know what it is? It's an organic thing that we want to see you walk into. Which means start with who are you already connected to? Are there already some people that you form connections with that you enjoy hanging out with? And you just might want to look, should I engage them and see if they want to do this a little more formally or a little more consistently? And if not, then start in the next circle. Who around the Sunday school class might match with schedules and personalities and and availabilities? And then go start approaching them and spending, having meals with them and just seeing is there, is there somebody in that group that might be there for you? And then as a last result, as resort, the third resort would be then enlist some help, you know? There's, there's a women's team, there's uh, men's teams forming. Just enlist some help to say, you know what, I've tried this and it's just not quite working out. I'd love for you to help me walk in it. Be in the gathering. Be in a group. Be in a micro group. That's how we see this command fleshing out. That's why we have Be Intentional Month. That's why we're trying to drive Sunday school to be a more holistic ministry. Second command's really short, so we'll get to that one now. Plant biblical encouragement in others while reminding them of their future of our future hope. Plant biblical encouragement in each other's lives in others while reminding them of a future hope. You know, when your your kids come up and their eyes are a little droopy and, and, and their face is flush and, and they just don't seem themselves, every parent eventually learns quickly that means grab the thermometer, there's probably a fever. Pop the thing in, there's a fever, dump some Tylenol and ride the thing out. That's what happens. And so I asked a few weeks ago this question, is there anybody close enough to you to know your spiritual temperature? Is there anybody close enough to your life that they really know past the everything's fine, past the Sunday school answer, past the biblical facts answer that actually knows, is there intimacy, is there progress, is there barriers, is there something in your spiritual life that needs remedying, or is your spiritual life in a place that is, that is, that is uh, moving forward? Right? There should be somebody that knows. But the point of sticking that thermometer in your mouth is never to just know, it is to apply the remedy of God to it. 
And we believe that, yes, sitting under God's word, that it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, we believe the Holy Spirit will cut open your hearts by the, just the opening up of his word. But here's another thing I believe. The more specifically you're known and the more specifically that the word is brought into your heart, the more powerfully it will change and minister to your heart. And so I believe the Holy Spirit can do anything he wants through his word to open you up and to change you from just being here. But I believe when you go to a Sunday school class and the teacher kind of knows you and and he's heard your you sharing and your experiences and your events. And and there's other people around the table that have done the same and, and they're studying and the, and the truth are being brought. I do believe that in a much more sharpened, specific way, a group like that can speak into each other's lives, even when it's not intentional and direct. Because the word is encouraging, it's more specific. But then imagine if there's a group of two to four of you and you know each other's story from birth to now. And you're learning, you're, you're sitting in sermons, you're under Sunday school, you're, you're, you're in a reading plan or a, whatever your, your way of studying is. I believe with a greater specificity of, specificity of knowing each other and an increasing knowing of God that that encouragement will become nuclear powerful as you plant it in each other's lives. And I think that's what this text is driving towards. Look at the command. Encouraging one another has a really wide range of meaning. It can be comfort. It can be console. It can be encourage. It can be admonish. It can be exhort. And so it's this big bucket of terms that I think boil down into two main ones, comfort and challenge. So the comfort bucket, you've got comfort, console, encourage. The challenge bucket, you've got uh, exhort, admonish, which is correction, negative correction, exhortation, call to action. And you've got these two big buckets that this word means. And then this other shade of meaning is it is to, to come and stand beside someone, to call to one's side. And so putting all that together, here's what I think the word is challenging us to. It is to stand beside someone in a way that strengthens them spiritually. And sometimes that strength looks like confrontation. Sometimes that strength looks like direct eye-to-eye challenge. Sometimes that, that strength looks like blowing comfort and encouragement and consolation across the troubles of their life. But you've got to know them to know what that is. And so encourage one another, challenge them, encourage one another, comfort them. Here's one of the problems, though. I've got four kids. That's not the challenge. The challenge is when my four kids are hurt, legitimately hurt, one of them or some of them get very angry and prickly when that happens. Some of them get kind of internalized and a little down and grumpy. Some of them get whiny and some of them it doesn't register at all until it accumulates. So what's the problem? Hurt looks a lot like rebellion in in some of them whining and complaining, right? That's sin. You're not supposed to grumble. But is it rebellion or is it hurt? And I have to know my kids, and I don't do a great job at this. Amy's so much better at this than I am. I have to know my kids to know, is this rebellion anger, rebellion pushback? Or is this hurt and discouragement anger and hurt and discouragement pushback? Because the core of it is what determines, do I need to comfort Or do I need to correct and challenge and confront? And so what's going on in the people's lives around you? 
First, uh, first Thessalonians five fourteen says it this way: I urge you, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all. Do you see that? Here's the problem, though. Weakness looks like idle sometimes. Fainting discouragement looks like idleness sometimes. Right, and so. The author of or Paul is what he's saying here is there are different people in different circumstances and they need a different remedy. There are the rebellious that need the remedy of confrontation, the remedy of rebuke. But there is also those who are just fainting and discouraged and don't have the ability to keep going. And their not ability to keep going may look like idleness. It may look like rebellion. It may look like anger. It may be look like uh, uh, removing themselves from community. But what they need is not to be crushed by rebuke. They need to be have have life breathed back into them through encouragement. And then there's who, those who are weak. There's those who are frail. And what they need is to be strengthened, not necessarily rebuked. And so you see, like in the Bible, there's this parsing out of what is that core issue that's being addressed. And the more you know somebody and the more you know the story of God, the more you're able to encourage either comfort, strengthen them by comfort or confront, strengthen them by confrontation. All of which falls under this command, encourage one another. And so what is the what is the challenge of, of of Sunday school week in and week out? Are you learning each other? Are you hearing each other? Are you giving room for each other to speak and then listening well versus listening to talk so that you hear what's going on in people's lives? What what's going on between the lines? What's what's going on in their walk with God? That's great and encouraging that you can like, yeah, man, keep going, run harder or that, that, that's challenging. So you can consider them so that you can encourage them. And then beyond that, to the microgroup level, know their story, birth to now. Increasingly know God's story. Love each other enough to put the two together. And I say love each other enough to do that because it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable to open yourself up and even comfort, right? Right. When somebody gives you an encouragement, like at least for me, it's like, I don't like compliments. So it's like, how do I brush this off and make a joke? I'm serious. I'd just, I'd prefer you don't compliment me. And that's not a good thing. That's a thing. And so it's uncomfortable to press into like genuine encouragement, genuine comfort, but it's also uncomfortable to press into confrontation. It's, un- it's uncomfortable to press into, I need to admonish you for this. It's uncomfortable to say, I want, I, I want to exhort you, I want to call you to run after God in this area of your life. So do you love each other enough to bridge the gap? That's what we want to see happen here. That's what we want to see happen in your small group that you're going to be part of every week in August. And that's what we want to see happen in the micro groups that you're going to walk into over time. A couple practical things will be done. First, take the Be Intentional Challenge. It's four weeks. You can do it. Hopefully you won't want to stop, but it's four weeks. You can do it. And so if possible, and if God does not hinder your basic commitment of August, I'm going to be here. Right. I know trips happen. I know sicknesses happen. I know kids get whatever. But you're going to be here. That's your intention. But you're not going to just be here. You're going to be this, this, this person who's studied, who's thought, who's prayed, who walks into class with the sense of preparation, with with. I've encountered God, and I want that to be part of our discussion. Pray. Redouble your efforts that every single day there's going to be a focused time of prayer in my life. That may be something new to you. Do it. God forming more of Jesus in you. God growing relationships and forming more of Jesus in your group. 
And then your class and you have a specific way to list the people you're engaging and praying for. And that you are part of your daily prayer life is you're praying for people who aren't here yet. And the point of that is it's so easy to forget because the table is full. There's people that aren't at it. It's so easy to forget when I've got my friends here to realize there are other people who don't have friends yet. In Jesus' name, friends. And I don't want to see that miss. So you're going to pray for yourself. You're going to pray for your group. And you're also going to pray for those who aren't here yet. And then you're going to engage and invite too. I get your commitment. There's two people you're going to serve, you're going to pray for, you're going to engage, you're going to invite, you're going to have meals with, you invite them, whatever it takes to invite them. And then you're going to be part of a party and, and invite people. Be intentional, month. Take the challenge. Second, focus on how you can stir people up around you to love and good works. I want you to identify with God very quickly. Today, by tomorrow, God, who is the handful of people that should burn in my heart when I start fixing my attention on wanting to see people love God more? Who are the people that, that need to be in front of my eyes, that need to be on a list somewhere that I'm thinking about, God, what is it going to take? What is it going to take to get them running? What is it going to take to get their love hotter and more passionate and driving after you? What is it going to take to drive them into your service, not out of guilt or duty, but because they love you so much they can't stop? What's that going to take? Focus on how to stir people up around you. And then lastly, go beyond Sunday and beyond the surface. Is there space and time in your life and space and time in your week to spend regular times with other believers? If not, you're too busy. If not, something needs to go away. Because fellowship of the saints is the non-negotiable, not all the other stuff we fill our time with. But not just time. Don't stay at the surface. Don't stay safe. Transformation doesn't happen up here where things are safe. Transformation happens down here where things are real. The acceptance of God is seen down here where things are real. And so don't stop. Go beyond the Sunday and beyond the surface. So hopefully we've cast the vision. Sunday school is not a stale lecture for you to attend. It's not one hour on Sunday that we want you to be a part of. It's a holistic ministry that's focused on helping a group of people treasure Christ more. And a, people, a group of people connect deeper into relationships with each other. Like, that's what I hope you see. And the reason for that is relationships with other people like we're talking about here are essential to your enduring in the gospel. And relationships like this are essential to you drawing near and entering into the presence of God and living in intimacy with him. Genuine relationships and community stir us up to run after God. Let's pray. Father, I pray your spirit would communicate beyond what my words can communicate. I pray there would be a hunger and a thirst in our lives for these kind of relationships. Not idealized versions of them, not clean, neat, perfect versions of them that don't exist. God, not academic versions, but Father, a deep hungering for the real thing. The real considering each other thing, the real provoking love thing, the real weaving of lives together thing, the real encouragement thing. And God, would you create such a thirst that we cannot stop until we begin drinking of it? God, would you do that in me? Would you do that in us? And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.